Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and our Redeemer. Amen. My friends, if you knew my mother, you would know one of her favorite pastimes for this time of year. And I suspect she would not be alone in this congregation. Many of us, in the week before Halloween, enjoy watching the annual television broadcast, It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Before we celebrate here at church, the holy days of all saints and all souls, we may observe the evening before all saints, All Hallows' Eve, not by wearing costumes or by going trick-or-treating anymore, but by watching Charles Schultz's children's characters from his Peanuts cartoon, watching how they observe Halloween every year. And every year it's the same drama. Every year, while the other Peanuts characters go trick-or-treating on the holiday, Linus... Linus spends his time in a nearby pumpkin patch, hoping for the great pumpkin to arrive. To arrive with presents for children who wait and watch for him. And every year, Linus spends the days before Halloween trying to make his childhood friends believe with him. Believe with him in the great pumpkin. Don't go trick-or-treating, he warns them, or you'll miss the appearance of the great pumpkin. Now, if you haven't seen the show or don't already know the outcome, I'll have to spoil it for you by reflecting on the end of the story and its meaning for us here today. The meaning is especially poignant when Linus occasionally succeeds in getting one of his friends to join him, but they are both disappointed. No great pumpkin ever appears with presents. And of course, they've both missed any good goodies that they would have gotten from trick-or-treating. Indeed, in a 1962 comic strip, Linus's friend Sally who also watched and waited with him in vain all night, Sally exclaims to him, You owe me restitution. Now, the moral virtue of never giving up is celebrated by many commentators as the key meaning of the story of Linus and the Great Pumpkin. Others highlight the virtue of sincerity, because Linus often uses the phrase sincere pumpkin patch. As one observer notes, according to Linus, on Halloween night, the great pumpkin rises out of the pumpkin patch that he deems most sincere. Linus believes that the great pumpkin is very sensitive and easily offended and will bypass anyone who dismisses or doubts his existence 
which is why a person should never say, if the great pumpkin comes, but always when the great pumpkin comes, thus trying to convince the great pumpkin that one's pumpkin patch is sincere, that is, sincere versus hypocritical. Now, this virtue of sincerity is also highlighted for me in today's gospel when Jesus responds to a scribe asking him the key question, which commandment is the first of all? As we heard in the gospel reading, Jesus responds by combining two commandments that Anglicans have traditionally called the summary of the law. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. When the scribe hears this summary, he responds affirmatively and acknowledges to Jesus, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that to love God with all the heart, with all the understanding and all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, this is much more important than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus sees that he answers wisely, he says to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Not far from the kingdom of God. You are not far from the kingdom of God. That's a tribute to sincerity and authenticity that Jesus bestows on persons who talk about such matters wisely. Now, by contrast with that scribe, a similar question about these two commandments is posed by Jesus himself to an obviously insincere character. In the Gospel of Luke, immediately before Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, we read, Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? What do you read there? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, You have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting, wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? It's that insincere question that's the immediate occasion for Jesus telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in this way, he turns the questioner's ill will, ill intent, to good effect, using insincerity to offer a teachable moment. But hold everything right here. How could I not observe, right here, a teachable moment from last Sunday? Last Sunday, our congregation here at St. Philip's 
directly benefited from a retelling and a lecture on this parable by Professor Amy Jill Levine of Vanderbilt University. In her recorded talk during the Dean's Forum, Professor Levine retold the parable of the Good Samaritan as a Jewish story. She began by renaming the story as the parable of the person who fell among thieves. Instead of the parable of the Good Samaritan, because there were many Good Samaritans in that day, and not just one who happened to do a good deed on a particular occasion. Beyond that shift or intervention, Professor Levine went on to appreciate an insight from Dr. Martin Luther King that connects with both our readings appointed for today. Dr. King once suggested why the priest and the Levite in the parable, both of whom saw the man wounded by thieves, passed by on the other side of the road. They passed him by, King supposed, because they were thinking what might happen to them if thieves were still in the area. But the Samaritan stopped and helped because he was thinking not about what might happen to himself, but what might happen to the wounded man if no one stopped to help him. Like the Samaritan in the parable, Professor Levine concluded, Dr. King went on his last mission before he was assassinated to help striking garbage workers in Memphis, Tennessee. He went because he was attending more to what might happen to them than to what might happen to himself. And in that way, he was a neighbor to those workers in a way that fulfilled the twin commandments to love God on the one hand and also one's neighbor as oneself. Now, in the same way, we may acknowledge on this Eve of All Saints Day that Dr. King achieved the final expression of his life as a life of sincerity and authenticity. But the life and death of Dr. King also echoes our first lesson appointed for today from the book of Ruth. At the climactic moment of that reading, we hear Ruth proclaim to her mother-in-law, Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. With that virtue of authentic devotion to her mother-in-law, we hear something that was paramount for Dr. King as well. Like Ruth, he also exemplified that virtue in ethnic terms, multi-ethnic terms and spiritual terms. First, in ethnic terms, he appealed to his fellow Americans 
to live in solidarity with one another across our multiracial differences. That is, he exhorted each of us to aspire to be saying to one another, your people shall be my people. Y'all people, let's be each other's people together. That was the hallmark of his sincerity as he worked for solidarity with white Americans during the struggle for civil and human rights for African Americans. He was noteworthy for personally resisting the voices that would alienate white Americans from him and all Americans from one another. And he sought to foster that personal discipline of authenticity among the rest of us. And here we may refer to Jesus' expression, not being far from the kingdom of God. But instead of saying not far from the kingdom of God, Dr. King offered this variation, not long to the day of our solidarity. Listen to his classic speech that he delivered after the successful march from Selma to Montgomery finally succeeded in that march in 1965. And this is what he said there in Montgomery uh, on the steps, overlooking the steps of the State House. To an assembled crowd, both of black and white supporters, I know you're asking today, how long will it take? Somebody's asking, how long will prejudice, blind the visions of men, darken their understanding, and drive bright-eyed wisdom from her sacred throne. Somebody's asking, when will wounded justice lying prostrate on our streets and communities be lifted from this dust of shame to reign supreme among the children of men? Somebody's asking, how long will justice be crucified and truth buried. And here is where King complemented his humanist vision with a cascade of quotations that ended with religious affirmations from the battle hymn of the Republic. He says, Well, I come to say to you this afternoon, however difficult the moment, however frustrating the hour, it will not be long because truth crushed to earth will rise again. How long? Not long, because no lie can live forever. How long? Not long, because you shall reap what you sow. How long? Not long because the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. How long? Not long. Because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord.
His truth is marching on. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. So it is, Christian friends and friends of Christ, so it is that we can hear echoed in our, our, our hymns and our psalms and prayers as we hear today a similar holy refrain. How far from the kingdom of God? Not far. As in the words of our opening hymn this morning we affirmed, to Jesus belongs the scepter, and the crown. How far from the kingdom of God? Not far. As in the words of our psalm appointed for evensong tonight, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and all who dwell therein. How far from the kingdom of God? Not far. As in the words of our sequence hymn, we affirmed, what does the Lord require for praise and offering but that we do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God? How far from the kingdom of God? Not far. As in the words of our closing hymn, we will affirm, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Because God's word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. And because the spirit and the gifts are ours, through him who with us sideth. And finally, we affirm by faith that we love our God with all our heart and our neighbors as ourselves. As in the final words of that hymn we affirm, God's truth abideth still. God's kingdom is forever. Amen.